Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week, we unpack the question, what is Christian nationalism? Hi, welcome to the podcast. We had a break last week because, well, 90% of people were on vacation, it seemed. So it was a good chance to have a break. But we're back and leaning into a new question. I have got Ryan and Brian. Now I feel excluded because my name doesn't rhyme (laughs) with yours. Um, And yeah, we're going to tackle this question, what is Christian nationalism? And it's actually, it's an issue we talk a lot about as we've, you know, we often nerd out on issues of like justice and theology and race, and that's been prominent this year. And so we've wanted to get after, you know, questions like this, but recent events, you know, at the Capitol, like really uh, grieving, upsetting, frustrating, then seeing some of the responses to those events. Um, And this sort of term, I just was noticing on like social media, there's a lot of people throwing this term out. And I was like, I wonder how many people are like, can't follow this conversation because this hasn't been unpacked for them or something like that. Um, so we kind of want to set you up to uh, follow the conversation a little bit better. But we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about, you know, what we think about it, you know, the as we've nerded out on the theology of these types of things, what the Bible has to say about these things, like what we've discovered as well. So I'm going to throw the floor open for like our starter for five, for five points. What is Christian nationalism? (laughs) Well, I've been talking about a book that I've been reading um, by Gregory Boyd called The Myth of a Christian Nation. And one of the ways that he defines this idea of Christian nationalism is the fusing of the kingdom of God with a preferred version of the kingdom of the world, essentially the church longing for the America that they want. And when you take the empire and the kingdom and you fuse them together, that leads to what we would call Christian nationalism. Okay, okay. Because this is unusual for me to step into because as someone who's British, so I'm a cultural outsider, you know, we relate really different to nationalism, to patriotism, to uh, cultural icons like our flag and head of state and offices like like the president or, you know, things like that. So um, there's a sense in which coming to America for me is like, whoa, this is a box we don't have, you know, mm-hmm. kind of un- unusual. What? How would you unpack it, Ryan? What's your like back of a notebook uh, explanation? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I don't want to be too characteristic, but it's, it, definitions are hard. You want to try and be simple without being simplistic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is a, a fusing of, um, I think it often looks like the fusing of the church and America in the sense that we often mistake the mission of the church for the mission of the American nation and hoping that that our nation will do what it is that actually Christ has called the church to do in the sense of the evangelistic mission now looks more like just making America look like Christians living in a certain way. And, and so we look to these cultural symbols and we look towards these uh, certain leaders in America to do the job of what really was supposed to be the job of a pastor or the, the, the job of, um, you know, any, any one of the ministries of, of people within the church. Yeah. So it's, so it's a bringing together of two things, Christianity and nationalism, but that needs unpacking as like a, what it looks like to be a successful participant in your nation's mission or your nation's vision or something like that, which, of course, different people in a nation might have different ideas if you say, you know, what's the mission of this country? What should this country look like at its best? They might give different answers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a complexity to that. Um, and so those two things bump into each other. And then 
for example, if someone was um, to sort of answer a question, man, what does it look like to be a good Christian? Then, you know, one way to answer that would be like, well, let's look at the Bible. What did Jesus say Jesus followers should be like? Do you tick the boxes? But Christian nationalism maybe creates a confusion where you might be like, oh, well, if I tick some boxes on my nation list of like, you know, I fight for freedom or I'm just picking out of the air things I see as stereotypically American, then you might think, oh, I'm being a good Christian. And I, and I guess vice versa, like being a good citizen means maybe, oh, you should go to church. That makes you good. So maybe these like these two categories, these two checklists maybe get conflated and confused. Yeah. Is that is that fair to say? Is that good? I do think there's probably some very specific and, and maybe when we especially when we talk about political parties um, on the more conservative side, you know, we would stand up for life and traditional marriage and certain values that would tend to make us sound more Christian-y. Um, and so I think the idea can be whatever set of values, depending on the political party that you ally with, you can tend to let those values say, this is what Christian America looks like. It's when you stand against abortion, when you stand for traditional marriage, when you stand for certain family values that tend to, to really play on the conscience of the church. And so when, you know, around an election, like we just experienced, like there is a lot of pressure on followers of Jesus to vote our conscience and which on one level, yes, let's be good citizens. But, um, I, the tricky thing is neither party has all the values of a Jesus follower. Yeah. And so you can't really, you can't really pigeonhole our political affiliation and say, oh, this is the Christian party. That's where it gets dangerous, where you say not only America, but this particular political party is more Christian than the other. Yeah. And I would say, in what way? And yeah. because we, we could make a list on either side and say, this party seems to be holding values that would be more Christ-like in this way, but not in this way, and you know, vice yeah. versa. That's really helpful for me because, like, last election, we had not been here that long. So, quite frankly, we were just confused, you know, like, <laughs> had no idea what we were doing. But this time around, like, chatting to a few neighbors and friends and, like, learning how people were going to vote and why. And so many people being like, well, I have to vote this way because of abortion. I was so confused by that. I was like, why is that? And I'm not throwing this out there for us to answer because that'd be a whole nother podcast, but right. I've been learning right. about it. But like, why is that an issue that eclipses your awareness of how your choice of voting may play into all all other sort of moral, public policy, um, theological, you know, all, all these other issues? Um, so the idea that Christian nationalism isn't just a bouncing together of Christianity and nationalism, but actually there may be a version of American Christian nationalism, which is quite well-defined, where people feel like if I take the Christian label, I have to take, uh, or at least there's Christian national cultural pressure on me to also take some other labels, like I always vote pro-life. Yeah, And so it's sort of, the, the, then there's some things that kind of come together as a set and the question might be like, do they belong together as a set kind of thing, right? And it, and it's interesting as well because we would before we press record, I was like, yeah, we've got like a version of Christian nationalism in the UK, but it's really different. And there's like a version. If you want to nerd out on this, you could explore like the differences between the underground church and the state church in China, or like other countries that have state churches like India, and then the native missionary movement in India and. Um, so it's not. This is not a thing that's peculiar to America. We're just going to talk about America because that's where we live, and current events are making us think about where we live. So, so that's good. But let let me uh, step back, ask another question. So, because you read the Book of Acts or like some of Paul's letters, it's really clear that the church was like so separate from national culture and national identity and national cultural icons, things like that. It was so countercultural. So how do we end up with these two pushed together? Like, where's this come from? Because if I'm playing the sort of uh, historically naive person, I just like, well, I just read Acts, and then you're telling me this? 
Like, how did that happen? That's really confused. I wouldn't expect that to happen at all. We had 300 years of church history that looked more like the book of Acts and then Constantine. Yeah. And after AD 312, 313, when the empire and the church came together and it became the state religion, that's when things got pretty much, you can track almost from that moment till this one, that's when things got really wacky, whether it's Middle Ages and what we did or during the Crusades. Um, there's this now new narrative that the empire and the kingdom of God have come together and Constantine under the banner of the cross is now going to go and be a power over and use the sword and the cross as a way to conquer. And then we call the blessing of God the defeat of other nations or the taking of lands. And then it gets really messy when we talk about when the Western Europeans came over to the United States and looked at themselves as the manifest destiny. They were the new Israel that was coming like Joshua into a new land. Um, And they looked at themselves as a conquering conquest people. And the blessing of God then was, well, look at how God's blessed America because we've taken land through bloodshed and annihilation and genocide and so many awful things, but yet it's associated with this weird theology. Like we brought the nation of Israel and Joshua conquering, you know, person leader into Canaan. And we said, that's the new narrative. Yeah. And that's where America, I think, lost our heads. The founding of the country was on this weird premise. Yeah. And Constantine's an interesting figure because... I mean, it's hard to really judge a person at this historical distance of, you know, 1700 years, but like may have come to some form of faith. But the question is like, are the decisions that were made about the way the Roman Empire and Christianity were brought together, were they they good? Because, you know... I think no. (laughs) There's there's different tellings of the story, but like the reality is like Christianity was oppressed and marginalized in the Roman Empire for a long time because it offered a really different set of ideals to some of the Roman... They were seen as threatening to Roman ideology. But by the time you get to the 300s, there is such abject moral decline in the Roman Empire that the social fabric of the world is falling apart and Constantine is in dire need of something that will stay the decline. And Christianity, it provi- I'm, I mean, this is like a few hundred years after Acts, but it provides a moral solution to a civic problem. Uh, and, and so, like that, I mean, there may be other factors, but that is by far and away the biggest one. And then it's not long after then, Constantine is like in Britain on the border fighting, uh, well, the proto-Scots. <laughs> like... Uh, and he's got a cross on his shield, you know. So he's so Christian emblems have become a way to take his civic solutions and be like, I want to see our way of life pushed out. And all of a sudden, that becomes the mission of God. And it's like the mission of the Roman Empire has suddenly become the mission of God. And then, and then we're like stepping back and we're like, whoa, hang on a second, are they the same mission? Right, so that's the sort of, it, and it's interesting. Like, tell me a bit more as as an outsider. I love being able to play the naive card. I just ask any question. I don't know. I sound dumb. That's all right. I might be. Like, tell me a bit more about like founding of America, because there is like I've talked to a lot of Americans. They're like, oh yeah, America's a Christian nation, and so there's a. Uh, it's normal for me to encounter people who think that way, and so when we say Christian nation. Should I be reading like Christian nationalist nation or like should I be passing that out in a way to make better sense of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing just to be, you know, like like you were trying to be fair a little bit with Constantine. Um, there's a way of, of looking at these historical figures from a distance and not trying to completely um, annihilate them and act like they were the enemies of the world and they just didn't know it. I mean there are some good things to defend about some of these people. And I I think that's can be said about some of these uh, founders of what at the time are the British colonies, Um, you know, and, and, you know, they had a, I think they had maybe some pure hearts, some of them and what they were trying to do 
and were just maybe a little biblically naive and uh, didn't quite know how to read their Bibles and needed desperately to take a hermeneutics course. Um, and, you know, so I, I think they had pure intentions, some of them. But it, it, it did start with a kind of, uh, you can read some of like John Winthrop's uh, sermons. And there's a lot of, in founding these new British colonies, uh, there's a lot of reading uh, scripture of like, um, that, that we're called to be a city on a hill in the light of the world and saying this about America or about these new colonies. Like that's what this is. This is going to be the goal of these new colonies is that we're going to be this city on a hill and the light to the world. And so it's this instant from, from the start, this vision for these colonies to, to play the role of what is supposed to be the church and what was supposed to be Israel is this, means of leading the other nations, this kind of blessed to be a blessing uh, for the other nations and leading them to the truth of the God of Israel and uh, seeing that as as the mission. Um, and that's kind of uh, where it starts. Is, is it? And so that's why so many people want to defend and say, no, this was a, a Christian nation. We were founded as a Christian nation. Look, there's Scripture verses littered throughout all of these historical writings that we have. Yeah, it's and on so, monuments. It's yeah, on exactly. Notes, like, it's on documents. Yeah, yeah, and and you you know uh, all these different things. Like clearly, the founding fathers, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, all those signers were clearly these people who wrote about God and what God was doing. Yeah, and the this Bible new, was authoritative for them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in that sense, you want to say, okay, yeah, I'll give you that. They're, they certain God is littered. Uh, on the pages of, of these uh, historical figures and these founding fathers. But it's not just did they believe in God, it's did they did they believe truly in the God of the Bible as he had as he has revealed himself throughout those scriptures and did they have a proper understanding of how to read those words and apply them in the right contexts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the tricky thing even if one could make a case that the founding fathers were theologically orthodox, which I think there's a debate whether or not they were actually theologically orthodox. So yeah. that would be a baseline for a question of, is this a Christian nation where the founding fathers theologically yeah. orthodox? And to be clear, that's not a fringe question. That's like a... Yeah. There's definitely some issues. Well, <laughs> yeah. But then the second question is, if I gave the fact that they're theologically orthodox, the ethic of the way that we started is not the ethic of Christ. Yeah. And yeah. so whether we're theological and orthodox, we're not we're not ethically orthodox in the founding of the country. And I don't think anybody would argue that point in the sense that do you think what we did to the native peoples of the land, enslaving Africans, uh, the treatment of the peoples of the land when we came here, was that a Christ-like ethic? Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us could say yes. I don't think. Yeah. So therefore, I think the the trick comes when we're like, okay, well, if, if they had the Bible but no ethics, then they weren't exactly. reading the Bible yeah. correctly. There was a theological problem because their ethics were off. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, there's been a lot of water under the bridge since the founding fathers. So the idea that America is what it was is like, well, it clearly isn't. But at the same time, one of the things, again, as an outsider watching America, it's like, oh, this is peculiar in like an unusual. There aren't many nations that point to, uh, I mean, quite vehemently to documents that are hundreds of years old that codified the beginning of a national mission or a national vision and are, are still trying to become that. Uh, like, mo like, we've got a weird version of like, constitution spread out across the history of britain but no one's under any illusion that we're still trying to be that like our vision has moved on but in america sometimes people are like no this is we're still spoke we got to stick to what we were and it's interesting for me watching people i might put in a category of oh i can see there's some christian nationalism in you it often tends to be those people that on that they don't want to let go of some of the vision that was like they're very resistant to see the nation become something unfamiliar to them you know, there's a i mean we've all got a resistance to change but there's a sort of socio-political re with religious overtones resistance to change that seems to have a connection with christian nationalism uh, and but and particularly the christian nationalism that's rooted in history 
So yeah, I can see I can see this stuff you're saying play out. It, it's interesting too when you start to think about and and not to make a br- too broad of a stroke, but there are a, there's a particular demographic who benefits the most from the documents, uh, the way the Constitution and 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 that demographic tends to hold tightly to the American way. Yeah, and and so if you're a land owning white male. The Constitution and the way the country was founded was for you. Yeah, because you embody the success of the vision that's codified. And then everyone else sort of, I mean, you know, early on, if you're a female, if you're anything other than, you know, Anglo-Saxon, you're not going to benefit from the way that we're moving forward with the founding of the land and the the, the, the colonies and the American way. Um, we've progressed. Thank God we have progressed. We've, we've, we're better than we were. But you still see who this country benefits the most, at least in our history. And the question mark becomes like, is this is this a Christian nation because it benefits you or is it Christian nation because it's like Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to throw out a book recommendation if you're interested in some of the history. There's a really cool book. It's thought-provoking. It's fairly middle of the road, like it's a pretty balanced look at it. Uh, we'll put the link in the notes. It's by John Fee, and it's called Was America Founded as a Christian Nation? A Historical Introduction. So we'll leave history. You can read about that and, yeah, come find us on Sundays and be like, hey, I read something. I've got some questions. I want to talk. But we'll we'll move on to another question. So it seems like the way, I don't know, like, someone's vision of what's Christian and someone's vision of like what the national mission is or national identity or values are could they could come in varieties um, and the way that they get bumped together like s- some people might completely conflate them some people might just mix up some of it you know so I'm interested then especially like we are two people who are like called to be pastors like in ministry, Bible nerds, you know, you're like, you're watching the world, watching the church, you know, in your Bible all the time. Um, like, what are the, uh, I guess, like, litmus test things where you like, oh, that's when I can tell there's some Christian nationalism. Like, that helps me spot it. Like, these are the markers of, like, where, where the common conflation occurs, you know. I mean, I mean, just to be very specific or simple in my thought on that question that you're asking, it seems like when my ideology or my values that are American and that maybe hold to a particular political party, whether it's the left or the right, when when anyone speaks out from the church against something that rubs up against my ideology and my value politically, that's when you it's almost and, and this is, you know, not to throw shade because I this is in me as as much as it's in anybody. But when I have sort of an idol of the heart that I've created God and then he's associated with these particular political views and values and national identity, and then somebody speaks something in the church that bumps up against my ideology, then suddenly there's an anger, a rage, a defensiveness that you didn't see before. And then we get a lot of this like pushback that it's it's like somebody's idol got rocked. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we all have idols of the heart. You know, John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. So I'm not clear of that. Like that's something that bumps up against me as well. It's just my, I, I have a different set of values that I hold so dear that if they get messed with, I can even find myself in a disjointed and defensive yeah. posture. But it's a good uh, indicator of like, oh, hang on a sec. Like if someone claiming to represent the church or Christianity says something and there's something about your ideology that you find that provocative, but it elicits an anger and a defensiveness in you, there's a chance they might just be a heretic and, you know, it's a righteous anger. But what you're saying is, commonly, this might be a warning sign that actually this reaction's because of some other reasons, and they might want unpacking and examining because they might actually be bad reasons. So that's a good one because we can watch our. I mean, we can all watch our responses and 
and see them in others. What about you, Ryan? Like, what's, what's another, how, how do we spot this Christian nationalism thing? Yeah, I think uh, one that I uh, tend to see a lot is that I think whenever spotting it in yourself or, or, or spotting it somewhere in your church or whatever it might be, if there tends to be a... Um, if, if you look to America and you see a regression in, in the morals and uh, like the moral fabric of, of the American nation, and that starts to make you lose a little bit of hope in the kingdom of God and uh, it coming in full and being fully consummated, and you have a hard time keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus and him as king because you see a moral regression in America, uh, then then that might be a good time to just kind of check your heart and check where your foundation really is. Um, there's a book called um, Eschatological Discipleship um, by Trevin Wax. And, uh, you get points it, if you can even say that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's Eschatological true. Eschatological discipleship, <laughs> yeah. And he, he just talks about how, how the reason why thinking through questions of the last things, which is the eschatological part, is the questions of... of future hope and, and, and the things to come, the last things to come. Um, he, he asks people to ask the question of what time is it? And if when you ask the question of what time is it and, and those sorts of things about America are what causes concern, then, then it's, you know, it's just, it's, you have to realize that you might be looking towards a, a, what he would call a rival eschatology or a rival um, ideology about what is at stake for yeah. the future hope? So this is like my checklists. Yeah. It's like, oh, they sound like the kind of boxes I would find on a nation checklist, not a yeah. biblical theology checklist or yeah. church eschatological or something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let me let me throw some out um, as like genuine questions of like, so if my Christian neighbors have like painted an American flag on their truck and then are like hanging an American flag out on the Fourth of July. Should I be thinking, oh, that might be Christian nationalism? Um, I think you have to know the people a little bit better. And I understand it because I felt very patriotic for lots of years. Um, and then I started asking the question when someone would tell me, like, I'm a patriot. Um, I started to wonder what they meant when they said that. So if someone's big on the American flag... I don't think there's anything inherently idolatrous about being a good citizen of a country, um, Israel and Babylon, and trying to do good and see the place prosper, and even having a certain sense of connection and prayer for. I, I think where it gets tricky for me is when the lines get crossed, and, and you wonder, like, to what extent are you holding hope in this flag and what it, it, it emblemizes? Because Jesus was pretty clear when he talked to the man of the empire, Pontius Pilate, and Pilate was interrogating him before he went to the cross, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so anytime the, the two get confused, the fusing of kingdom of God and the empire, um, we have to go back to the words of Jesus who said, if my kingdom was here, then my servants would fight for this cause or this position or this politic. But because my kingdom's not of this world, we're not fighting this way. I'm a yeah. different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. So, I mean, I, I guess it's, you know, it's just like when someone tells me that they're a patriot. I don't inherently go, okay, that's good or bad. I'm just like, when you say that, yeah, what do you what mean? Do you, to what extent are you a patriot? Good. That's helpful for me. Yeah, because I, I can be like, oh, I'm British, so I like I want England to like beat Australia at cricket. Of course, you <laughs> Americans, you, you have don't even know that game. no skin in that game yeah. whatsoever. But yeah, like like when God sent the Jews away to Babylon in exile, kind of with their tails between their legs, He still told them to like pay pray for the prosperity and and contribute to the prosperity yeah. of where they were. So like, and like. You know, I'm not an American citizen, but I live here and God's called me here. And so I love here and I yeah. can want this place to prosper, to do well. Like I, I live in Portland, so I'm like, oh, I guess I want the Blazers to do well. Or like <laughs> right. Seahawks are nearby. So I guess I want them. To, you know, I just like that f that feeling of like, yeah, I, I want the country to do well. I want it to be right. I want it to prosper, not just financially, but like 
morally and win golds at the Olympic, like all of it. And if I'm flying an American flag to like to honor wanting my country to to be good, that's cool. But yeah, if I ask my neighbor why are you flying a flag, and they're like, well, go Jesus, like that's how you cheer, that's how you show you want Jesus to prosper <laughs> is flying an American flag. Yeah. Then it's like ah, you're using right. You're, you're communicating something different and maybe doing it in like an inappropriate way yeah. as well. Like, because it, it could, it, it shows a confusion of what it looks like for the kingdom to prosper. Cause sometimes the kingdom might prosper and the nation might be falling or the mm -hmm. church's mission might be moving yeah. forward, but the nation's mission might be crumbling. So they, they, they're not always going to be together. Yeah. And, and we want to, because we want to contribute godliness into the nation, like, yeah, there's going to be times which are awesome times when the church's prospering is contributing to the nation, say, prospering morally. Maybe there's like a revival. And I mean, I think about like the uh, miners' revivals uh, in Britain and how, you know, the problem of alcoholism went away like overnight, you know. So it can, it can contribute, but... If I carried the expectation that the two always went together, I'm going to have times when I, ju I just might be really wrong about that. So, I mean, we keep saying, yeah, you might get it wrong, you might get it wrong. So here's like open the question then of like, what are some ways it can go wrong and how does it harm either us as Jesus followers? How could it even harm someone as like a citizen of their nation to get this sort of, this sort of confusion going on? Like what? Are, what are the harms in this? Does it does it matter? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things is that it, w when this conflation takes place, is it it's it's distracting. Like it's it's uh, hard to try and juggle several things at once and and look towards uh, several things at once. And so when you've conflated these two, for one, I mean, it could be just the full blown conflation in, in which. Now you almost aren't even looking at your church as much as you're just or or even being involved in your church as much because you're too busy just trying to do the mission of God through politics and through making America great and making this nation really wonderful and everything like that. But even outside of the full-blown conflation of that, like it can be distracting in the sense that you look so much to the needs of of America as a nation that you're missing the needs of someone just right there in your own neighborhood or right there in your own church family. And because you're just worried about these large, larger picture things. And, and so you are now actually the one who's, you know, like you said, it's the kingdom of God might be moving forward. Whereas the kingdom of this nation is falling apart and you're up here trying to hold up the crumbling pieces while, you know, you're a missing vital piece of, yeah, yes, yeah. I like that. So, so you, if, you, if you're kind of wrong about the mission, there might be like some of God's mission that you could be joining in with that you're missing out on. Yeah. But worst case scenario, you might be contributing to another mission that's actually against the kingdom of God. Like maybe, oh yeah, I just think like we need to economically prosper. Yeah. So I'm going to lean into a certain way of doing American capitalism. And it might just be like oppressing and hurting other people. Yeah, and right I, there in your own church community, yeah, who is supposed to be, if you think of who we're on mission to in in this kind of picture of concentric circles, well, your first circle should be your church family, right? Like that's the family of God that you've been called into. That's that you're immediately born into as you're born again and and into the life of Christ. And if you're contributing to this mission that's oppressing them, you've actually missed who it is that's right there in front of your face that God yeah. has placed there for you to yeah. be on mission to. And, and there's this extra tragedy of the self-deception of being someone who thinks you're doing the godly thing, but might actually be... I mean, I think of Paul on the road to the uh, Damascus, and Jesus is like, dude, why are you fighting me? You know, and Paul's surprised. He's like, I thought I was serving you. What do you yeah. mean? You know, and there's... Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm putting it in comedy, but there's something deeply tragic. Like, none of us will want to be that. No. Yeah. What I think say, we, we were seeing it most profoundly when men and women who love and follow Jesus vote differently. And the division that happens in the church, and, and sometimes it seems like a Christian follower of Jesus who votes, say, Republican, and a Christian follower of Jesus who votes Democrat 
feel closer to their political party than they do to the the new family of God. Yeah. And that's when all the the flag, the red flag should like fly that the fact that my political affiliation seems to run deeper than my affiliation to the people of the new humanity. I in in, in essence I am closer to and on the same mission with um, someone who votes differently than me who loves Jesus than I am with my the, the political mm-hmm. party that I affiliate with. But that gets really confused in the church. Yeah. And there there becomes like the party that seems that that we're the Christian party and then that's the not Christian party. And whenever you you do those polarizing kind of things, then inside the church there's this unhealthy division over world politics yeah. and empire. I like that. That's really tangible to me especially as someone who doesn't get to vote, but then being interested in listening to people talk about that. So it's like, oh, do you trust this person? Now, don't tell me the abstract, what you know is the right definition of why you should trust them. But like, if I told you, hey, yeah, they read their Bible and try to follow Jesus, does that elicit in you a feeling of like, yeah, I can probably trust them. But if I tell you they vote the other way than you, what does that stir in you? If it stirs are like, I don't think I'm going to like this person. I don't think I'm going to be able to partner or get on with this person. I wouldn't want this person as a neighbor. That's Christian nationalism talking. Yep. Yeah. Danger. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and what about, I mean, Brian, you mentioned this a bit at the start of like, the, there was some corrupt, badly pulled out of scripture theology about like the mission of like the the way to bless is to like conquer and so often leads to just like um a sort of blind oppression for the sake of what you've taken to be goals but sometimes not under the critical eye of what scripture actually says um and and i mean you mentioned blessed to be a blessing and like the church's mission is to go blessed by sacrificial giving yeah so there's there's all these tensions in there, but I'm thinking about, you know, Christian nationalism tragically may harm us, may harm like the kingdom mission. But it seems like there's some sets of people who, um, you know, like this this could harm others, which I think we've danced around a little bit. I want to land the plane on like what, how does this, like who does this harm and how does this harm like are there groups of people who Christian nationalism kind of excludes or yeah. you know, does an injustice to or something like that? Well, I know that one of the things that I, w- I was reflecting with someone um, recently on is after 9-11 um, and when the trade towers went down. And then we, we quickly thought this was an act of terrorism from people of another nation that hold another religious affiliation. Um, the Muslim world has come and done damage to the American people and killed thousands of people. It was awful. At that moment, my most patriotic self was ready to enlist. Mm-hmm. And and then my feeling toward the ethnic other or the religious other became more than just, I want to go do good to them and see them come into the kingdom. No, I now look at you as an enemy who I want to destroy because you have come on this land and done harm. Mm-hmm. And and then there became this desire to harm the other and this sense of you've now messed with my family, you've now messed on, on this, you've come here and done this atrocious thing. Now, that's a whole other discussion about how we should be involved in these kind of things. But I think as a follower of Jesus, when my desire for vengeance superseded my desire for winning people to the way of Jesus... I realized, okay, something's off. Yeah. But there was this, I felt justified in my, my anger and my desire to destroy. And, and, and so it's like my Jesus ethic and my desire to see people come to the kingdom went out the door when you mess with my nation. Mm. You mess with my nation, that's it. I draw the line. We will fight you now to yeah. the death. Um, which the, the Christian way of Jesus is like, no, no, those are the very people you're supposed to go love and even give your life sacrificially for, potentially. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting as well. I don't know why this is making me think of this, but like what being um, a national success story, not in terms of like a national hero, but a success of 
yeah, you embody someone who's like a really good American looks like we normalize that so much not by like doing philosophy classes and thinking about ethics and doing theology but by the mass media and so then i'm like really aware i mean goodness we we live in a place so we arrived from the uk and basically like prayed for a house and there was one so we ended up in this place where but we're like I think the uh, ethnic diversity of where we live is the lowest on the West Coast. <laughs> it's just, like shocking. And coming from a mu more, much more multicultural place where we used to live uh, and the kind of ministry we used to do, um, yeah, it's kind of surprising. And then I'm, I'm watching American TV for the first time, you know, over the last five years and noticing like, whoa, whoa, like a lot of this is very monochromatic in terms of ethnicity in terms of social class, in terms of economic class. And I've really noticed, like, there's a definite white, successful, entrepreneurial, married, 2.4 children, own two cars, middle-classness to what American success looks like. So then anything that could be a threat to that, like, oh, we need more diversity in our school education, or something like that. Or like, hey, what if we read some non-American authors in literature classes in high school? Or, you know, just things like that. It would be really easy for those to be seen as threats. But if we fought against those as a threat, we may be marginalizing those who actually God's kingdom mission to include, you know, we should be reaching out to. So it's just in interesting as, a, as an outsider coming from a different cultural setup like the mass media and the the way that normalizes civic expectation in America is yeah like depending on your age ethnicity social background income bracket you're going to watch different programs you know and i don't know the whole world's got access to loads of stuff now but america's always had this kind of choice of like you can be partisan like you could just you can just watch your crew tell your message your way to you whereas i grew up like in the uk when i was 18 we had like four stations to watch so you you got variety no matter what you wanted so it's just an interesting dynamic in there as well you could you could see how the way we engage these kind of questions and feel about them in America is like, ooh, there's some dangers there, you know. Well, what about, um, because we all keep moving along, what about, uh, let's imagine the scenario. So Richard's like, yeah, God's called to say I'm going to stay long term. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to become an American citizen. This is cool. Like God's put me here. I want to belong here. Um, and then Brian or Ryan I ask you guys, like, so, like, should I be in a, if I'm going to become this, should I become, like, patriotic? Like, should, so, so my question is, like, <laughs> what's the biblical alternative to Christian nationalism? Where you're like, I want to be a Christian, but I want to fully step in to being, like, American, but I don't want to do any of the wrong stuff we've talked about. Like, how would I do that? What would that look like? Yeah. Um, so th this is tough because, um, it, and it's, and it's exactly that sort of like the, the Patriot question. And it's, um, in the sense of like, what does it mean to be a Patriot? And I think we just need to be careful about how we define our terms, what that means. If, yeah. Maybe that's a really terrible term to use because it, it can lead to so much confusion. Yeah. And, and so I would say if you're a Patriot in so far as you recognize this is the country you live in. And so therefore this is, uh, the most immediate country that you are on mission to, then oh, okay, that's fine. That's that's a great patriotism. If if that just means that this is the nation you live in, so it's the f farthest, most uh, concentric circle of like you're in the center, meaning this is your mission. Now, who are you in mission to? Work your way outwards, and that's just the farthest one because that's where you live. Then fine, and yeah, farther out than that is then other nations. Uh, then, then that's that's fine. Be be a patriot in that way. You should you should feel at home in the nation in which you live. That should should be okay. Yeah, that you and by at by there. at home, you don't mean feel comfortable, but you mean like feel yeah. invested in. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. like this is my family. Like so, if someone in someone in my family is getting hurt, I should get riled up 
about that or care about that stuff like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so it, it, it's the mission thing I, I think it just should be in terms of mission and then you have to look at what is you know and that's that's where you have to kind of stop okay it's just, i'm on mission to them not through them uh maybe it's kind of the way i would think it. you're on mission not through america meaning it's not the vehicle by which you do mission mm-hmm. but you're on you're actually a christian outside of this nation and you're on mission to them and that's what i call patriotism yeah. so my primary yeah. citizenship is somewhere else yeah. yeah and so i almost almost like right now i live here and i'm aware that i am a different citizen on mission to this place is like oh i might more be more deeply invested in the homeness of this yeah. is my home but that fundamental i'm still on mission to wouldn't go away yeah yeah that's good for me that's look what i about, think what maybe about? the most obvious one um, is Jeremiah chapter 29, God speaking to the exiled peoples, Israel in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So now you have a non-ethnic, they're not ethnically Babylonian, living in Babylon. And this is what God says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. So, I mean, live in the place and seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So there is this sense of, as the exiled people, like, love the place, um, love the people of the place, but remember, this is not home. You are an exile. You are a resident alien. This is not your motherland. And for every Christian, we had a motherland that was different. And then Jesus did something and changed our lives. And now we have a new citizenship. And I, I, you have to live with that intention. You have to live like Israel and Babylon. And to, to dive deeply into that, that narrative of, of exiles, I think is the tension that every follower of Jesus has to live in. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask like a practical question of like, if someone's listening to this and feeling challenged of like, either in themselves, like, oh, I wonder if this is like being a part of my story. Like, is there something to work on here, discipleship? Or like in another person, like, oh man, that's like, my brother's that way. I want, like, how can I help him? Like, it's hard because we've talked about how part of Christian nationalism involves almost like a self-deception or a, um, a, conf- a self, it like internalized confusion. They're so hard to deal with. Like how, if these things are smooshed together and all entangled, like what does it look like to pull them apart without, I know, just feeling completely disoriented? Because if you're a Christian nationalist, we're talking about challenging maybe a set of things because it's not for you two lists, it's one list, a set of things that they represent what you lean into, things that you've lent into and now are reasons you tell yourself that you're valuable or doing well or, you know. So this is like really challenging, hard stuff to put under the microscope. I mean, I think for all of us, no matter if Christian nationalism was a part of my life, and maybe it is, I have to ask, like any of us, the hard questions. Pray the Psalm 139, search me and know me, God. Try my way, see if there be anything. Do I have any affections or affiliations that aren't appropriate or they, they something good turned into something that was idolatrous or, or went too far? when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. I mean, I can ask that about my relationship with my wife. When does a good thing become an ultimate thing? My relationship with my children, when does a good thing become an ultimate? My relationship with money. And I think on that list ought to be also, especially in a political season, has my political affiliation or my affiliation to this nation become a good thing that that turned into an ultimate thing that becomes an idol and becomes sin. Mm -hmm. So I think a person that takes stock of their life regularly before the Lord has to ask that about everything, you know, vocation, identity, um, materialism. Um, and I think it's then 
it's it's in a list of questions that I just have to ask the hard things of God and say, God, search me and know me. I need Christian friends that can speak directly to me. I think you've made yeah. mu- too much of a good thing has become an ultimate thing, and now it's sin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of that. In the midst of the self-deception, it's really easy to be challenged of like, oh, you're wild up about that. Why? Well, because of, and then quote half a verse. You know, but then... Y- that's when you need to invite a conversation with someone who you know is different to you or maybe is like a more of a Bible nerd than you are or has read different books to you or something to like, hey, I want to talk through my my response to something and I, I just want you to ask me questions if you think I am I missing something. You know, you, you don't need to invite someone to have a fight with you. But yeah, sometimes a good question can uncover these things, can't it? What about you, Ryan? What's your two cents on this? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I kind of actually just want to say that I think what Brian said as far as like just taking inventory in the sense of allowing like the Psalm 139, letting God search you and know you. But I just want to actually say even further and say I think one way of doing that is is the community is uh, is so good. Like it's just bar none, one of the, the be- best things. My wife and I coming into the community that we have been in has been a way that God has searched us and known us yep. and really scraped off some yep. of the gunk in our hearts that we honestly had no idea existed yep. before and this we is huge into that community. This is another c- culture thing. Coming to America is like, oh, the American ideal for what it looks like to do the best job of figuring something out is to go do it alone. And yeah. I was like, that's really weird as a researcher where collaboration is your biggest tool. Yeah. So yeah, that's like a... Not the way we normally do things. Yeah, exactly. Because we don't like to put our, I might be wrong about something, out for others to see, right? Yeah, exactly. Requires vulnerability, but it's a good thing. As any teacher knows, that student who puts a hand up and says, I don't know, I'm confused. They're the star student. They're going to learn the most. Yep. Well, so Ryan and I are in the same community group. um, And I know that within that group, there isn't someone who's 100%. But... What, what it does is I have to ask myself all the time in community, why am I reacting this way to this conversation? Um, why am I so mad or stirred up? I, I think community has a way of bringing things to the surface, especially if you're doing it genuinely and authentically. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I kind of cut you off and jumped in because oh. I got overexcited about no, community. No, that's uh, that's <laughs> fine. But uh, yeah, and I think um, I think the other thing too is that uh, especially in this day and age where media and sources and statistics and all these things are constantly thrown out, and our greatest weapon are the sources that we have to win an argument with. What YouTube videos uh, we're sharing with people via yeah. social media messages or whatever. The measure of a source is whether I f- whether it feels like it fits to me. Yeah, yeah, and where yeah. that is such uh, such a h- highly valued commodity right now, I think it's really easy to then turn to the scriptures and allow it to become the ultimate authority, not on our lives, but on other people's lives, so that we can hurl it as the sharpest dagger at the person and say, "See, you're wrong," because the Bible tells you so. Um, and one of the ways that we allow the Lord to search us and know us is by letting scripture read us. And instead of trying to flip through the pages to try and find that verse that really attacks the other person and tells yeah. them they're wrong. I'll pay attention when to, I hit a bit that I've already feel like I've understood. Yeah, exactly. Or already applied. Yeah. Is, is to sit in the uncomfortable bits, read it thoroughly. And, and for the sake of allowing God to say things to you and point out, let, let him hurl the the double-edged sword that scripture yeah, is yeah. to cut between bone and marrow Especially in your like life. the promises like god yeah. has promised through the power of his spirit to use the word to transform us in these ways yeah. so that it's got to be a go-to yeah uh, having pointed at scripture we did all have like a book we thought was helpful not maybe orthodox or we 100 percent agree with or it's totally right on this but if you're interested in like shaking up, like trying to get some like fresh questions on this stuff. So, Brian, do you want to? Uh, and we'll put links again in the in the notes. But give us your hot tip 
on some good yeah, reading. Yeah, so the two books that I've been kind of meditating on and reading um, along with Scripture is just thinking about this conversation. Uh, is a book by Rick McKinley, a local author, local pastor yep. of the Mago Day community in uh, East Portland. It's a book he wrote a while ago, three years ago, or something called Faith for This Moment, Navigating a Polarized World as a People of God. He spends a lot of time on exiles and how to live as exiles. The other is, I mentioned earlier, by Gregory Boyd, The Myth of a Christian Nation, how the quest for political power is destroying the church. And uh, that book is very challenging. And the, the thing that I think you mentioned that's correct is we're not saying this book or that book is 100%. We're saying this was a helpful read, even to challenge some of my views. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, sometimes, especially with stuff where we are wanting to be challenged to like maybe there's bits of scripture we want to sh- shake out of the... Like the du- we've seen them the same way so long, the dust has settled on them. We want to shake them up to see if that really is right. Sometimes reading provocative stuff, um, yeah, it, do- it gives us sometimes not a bunch of answers, but a bunch of questions. And then we read six more books and keep reading the Bible and talk to people. And a year later, we're like, ah, I yeah. grew. <laughs> yeah. What What about you, Ryan? What's your hot tip? Uh, yeah. So uh, one book is um, it's called American Exceptionalism and Civil Religion by John Wilsey. Um, really good book. It's just uh, trying to reassess uh, the historicity of an idea of, of those ideas where they came from and um, maybe the biblical precedence or lack thereof uh, on the ideas of American exceptionalism and, and civil religion. And then another, more or less just to throw out as an author, because I think kind of all that he's written is really good, is his his name is uh, Thomas Kidd, and he is uh, a distinguished professor of history at Baylor University and a guest lecturer over at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's written a ton on uh, American history, um, but particularly um, America's religious history, um, as far as just more kind of historical ideas and just trying to get a good Christian perspective on, on, on America's history. And then he has an actual new, like, just it looks like and reads like and feels like um, a, a text, like full-blown just American history course textbook. Yeah. Um, I'm you looking at it, it on Amazon two volumes. now. My history yeah. note is liking the look of it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's it's a beautiful book so far. And, I mean, it is full fully just all of American history um, up till present day. Mm. Um, and But from a, a good Christian perspective. But uh, who's honest and willing to question maybe some of the you know just allows the history to to lead us where it really does um and put it up against christianity rather than you know christianity like up against uh it and see if it fits with what we've always known um and yeah thomas kidd is just a really great author and a good guy to look into so i'm going to recommend uh divided by faith by michael omerson and christian smith um it's kind of broadly about um, it talks a lot about race and the church, but there's some sections in here that talk about particularly like evangelical Christians and America. And so there's some really good stuff. This is like a great book anyway, but a great chapter in. And then I had one book recommended to me um, on a more of a like, hey, these issues are in the foreground right now because of like current events, Trump, you know, like things like that. And so there's a book um, I'm really excited to read uh, called Taking America Back for God. And it kind of, it uses a lot of like research and interviews to unpack how Christian nationalism is woven into the story of current events over the last few years. So again, it's probably not, I'm not going to agree with it all, not have all the right answers, but I might like review some news stories and what people said about them, things like that in, in some fresh lights. I mm-hmm. think that could be really thought provoking as well. All right. Well, thanks guys. This was thought provoking. Hope you enjoyed listening and you'll go read about a dozen books apparently. <laughs> um, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the house of learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. 
We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.